how was your weekend? It was awesome. Great weekend. I just took this jet out that I'm, I'm leasing and just flew it around for fun. A jet out that you're leasing. Yeah, I just flew circles, landed in some random airports and looked around. It's like, all right, there's nothing here and took off again. <laughs> My name is Paul Ollinger. I'm a stand-up comedian with a background in the corporate world. I hit the lottery when I worked at a small company called Facebook. I'm fascinated with money, why we're so obsessed with it, and how it makes us happy or not. This is not a podcast about how to make a million bucks, how to beat the stock market, or how to save money by switching cable providers. It's about how we think about and live with money as a society and as individuals. It's about the choices we make that lead us toward or away from happiness. Welcome to Crazy Money. We're in Marina del Rey, California, and one of the offices of Indonero talking to co-founder, CEO, Jessica Ma. So you wake up in the morning, go to the airport. And then hopped in and flew around, yeah. So you're a, you're a pilot. <laughs> yeah, I'm a commercial-rated pilot. Commercial-rated pilot. What kind of jet is this that you were flying? It's like a Citation M2. How big a plane is that? Um, you could fit. You could squeeze five in the back, two in the front, mm-hmm. so seven people did you just do this by yourself did you hang out with a friend what was going on i don't uh, need to get in your business <laughs> i saw with my instructor oh okay cool yeah so fun and you know i started doing this more because i had no life i just worked all the time and i was obsessed about just trying to push my company forward and then i realized holy crap i don't have hobbies i don't have a life i need to have a life so some tw- other you're 27 is that correct I'm 28 28 you're getting so old i know other 28 year olds might be like okay i need a hobby maybe i should take up pilates or macrame nothing wrong with pilates <laughs> nothing wrong with pilates. no judgment on macrame but nothing wrong with pilates okay so let's let's take a step back let's take a step back. you've got a really i i met you a couple weeks ago at at this event and i was fascinated by your story can you take us back to where, where did you grow up and what, what did your parents do for a living? Yeah, I grew up in New York and my parents are entrepreneurs, both mm-hmm. my mom and my dad. They run clothing companies, clothing companies, clothing manufacturing and design. And they said, look, Jessica, you can do anything you want with your life, but never start a clothing company. It will be the end of your soul. If you don't do that. get into the schmata business. No, absolutely not. Okay. And is this suburban New York or New York city or what? They live around Columbus circle. Oh, cool. Manhattan, in New York. And mm-hmm. I go back every few weeks. I love going back. And right. um, I got a lot of business out there. I got an office out there, too. Sure. So you're, so you're growing up in a, an entrepreneurial household. Are you a typical kid? Not you have at siblings all. Or siblings? <laughs> I have a sibling. I have a brother. He's awesome. Older, He's younger. He's also working on his own company, two years younger. Okay. I'm going to drag him down to LA at some point. Nice. So you're, you're growing up in this entrepreneurial household, one to two kids. What's the vibe like? Are your parents pushing you to be successful or are they just like, do your thing, whatever you want to be? They're pretty chill. Just do your own thing mm-hmm. and, and definitely try to start a business. And they're really supportive. They've been really kind about it, which made my life a lot better. You've had an entrepreneurial bent your whole life as well, correct? I pretty much have. I never thought I wanted to work for the man or get a normal job. I'd probably <laughs> kill myself I, long before I ever do that. <laughs> I grew up uh, as a as, as child of depression era parents. All I wanted to do was work for the man. That was my goal. <laughs> it's like, oh, I want to be, I want to work for a corporation. But you're a young uh, millennial who's, who's been forging her own path. What kind of businesses did you have when you were in high school? 
I had this server management company mm-hmm. in middle school and high school, and it was it was cool. You know, we were doing maybe like a quarter million a year in revenue, top line revenue. Yeah. So bottom line, probably making as much as my teachers, which makes it really <laughs> hard to want to listen to your teacher. It's when, like, you're, when you're making more than they are and you're how old? I was like 14 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> 13, 14. So you're netting $60,000, $75,000 a year as a 14 year At old. least. Yeah, probably more than that. And... Uh, <laughs> And so why, what, was, what was it that drew you to this? Were you interested in money? Were you interested in winning? What was the fascination with running a business? I thought it'd just be fun and hilarious to do and kind of like just a challenge to myself. Like, I could do it, so why not do it? Why would I work at the shopping mall or rake leaves or, you know, do cleaning jobs, which is what all my classmates did and sounds horrible. So you did sort of a mini version of Amazon Web Services, like a, like on a on a local level. Is that what what you were doing? Yeah, I mean it's like it was like a managed version of a AWS or like Rackspace, mm-hmm. and so we were competing there, but priced a little below that, but giving customers all that value, and and it was kind of a complicated business to run at that age. What happened to that business? I mean, it was so capital intensive, and ends up as a fourteen year old don't have any ability to borrow money, <laughs> believe no. it or not. So I, I couldn't grow the business, and um, um, so I sold it to a customer. So you had an exit when you were 14 or 15 years old? It was a really crappy exit, but yeah. <laughs> was It was an aqua hire? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I was off after that. I was done, but I, I got a little bit of a cash out and then okay, called it the day. So you exited the, the server-on-demand uh industry when you're 15 what happens next and then i uh left high school i am technically or no i'm not technically i'm literally a high school dropout still Mm -hmm. and then i went to this early college program so i had to drop out of high school to go to college which sounds kind of ridiculous but if my kid doesn't drop out of high school by by junior year i'm gonna have a sit down with him. Yeah. Don't you know that to be (laughs) successful, you have to drop out? What is this? What is it with the good grades in the national honor society garbage kid? (laughs) So you bail on high school, you go to a non-traditional early college. That's right. Yeah. I pulled the parachute handle. I'm like, I have to get out of this high school place. And how did your parents handle that when you did that? They weren't thrilled. No. (laughs) Like what? Why can't you finish high school like a normal kid? They want, did they encourage your entrepreneurship or did, did they, they wanted you to both be independent and have the traditional resume? They wanted me to be more normal. Like, why are you doing this business now? Can't you wait till you finish college? Why can't you just finish high school like a normal kid? It's like, I'm not normal. Like, do you really want me to be normal? And were you, so you were in the computer business at 14. When, when did you start getting fascinated with computers? Uh, probably, probably elementary school. I mean, started programming when I was fourth grade, fifth grade, mm-hmm. got obsessed. And that's also when I got obsessed with flying planes uh, right. like through flight simulator. And uh, so I started by wanting to be an airline pilot. My parents were like, you definitely don't want to be an airline pilot. Mm-hmm. And then I went into wanting to be a programmer and they're like, don't be a programmer. You want to manage the programmers. So I said, okay, I guess I'll be an entrepreneur. And that's what led me to the rest of my journey. So you're at the non-traditional college and, or the early college um, and you're studying computers there as well? I took some CS classes there. And then after two years, I transferred to UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Studied computer science there, finished. 
and then just went into starting my company. The whole time you're doing this, are you ever worried about money or paying your bills or you know what you're going to do when you grow up or did you just figure it was all going to work out? Oh, no. I worry about it all the time. I still worry about it. I mean, last yeah. week, I'm like, shoot, if I don't do well this year, like, how am I going to pay for the jet fuel, right? Like, this stuff really <laughs> bothers me. I know. Most most 28-year-olds are sweating their jet fuel bill or their Jetta fuel bill. How am I going <laughs> to... I'm going to fill up the Jetta this weekend. So you're okay. So you go to UC Berkeley and at graduation, what are your, what, what are your thoughts? I'm going to go work in consulting or on wall street or something like that. Oh, no, 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 that's Absolutely not your not. thought. That was even it? in the vocabulary. Wall street is for suckers. <laughs> I mean, I had some friends go to wall street and I supported them on, on their journey. They wanted to do that and they were happy with that. And it was what they needed for me. I knew I needed to have freedom. I needed to have my own creative expression. And starting a business is really a way for you to express yourself. And when you talk about creative expression, the first thing that comes to my mind is accounting software. <laughs> when I think of wild, hippie impressionists, I think of accounting software. So how did you get into the account? Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about Indonero and how you got into it. Yeah, well, I run a company called Indonero. We do accounting and taxes for small and medium-sized businesses. And uh, we've done the accounting for companies uh, as small as a few employees and as big as companies like Slack, Stripe, Pinterest, Instacart, GitHub. So how does a, how, you're, you're a new college graduate, what are you, 20 at the time? Why are you thinking about accounting software? Yeah, well, most people... In who are starting a business say, oh, I want to start a business in something I'm passionate about. Like, mm -hmm. I love making pizza, so I should start a pizza business or whatever. Mm -hmm. For me, it was the complete opposite. I hated accounting, and I thought it was horrible, and therefore, why not start a business there? <laughs> you appear to be a pretty hip, hip person. You know, you care about fashion and uh, doing cool stuff. And so, yeah, like, uh, accounting software doesn't, it seems somewhat counterintuitive, but there's the beauty of it, perhaps. Yeah, there's so much beauty in that. I think, and uh, it just it's just contrarian in a way and unconventional, and I love kind of going out of my way a bit to be unconventional. So, so that manifests in saying no thank you to the man in the corporate world on graduating college. Where do you go from there? After college, I went straight into this startup accelerator program called Y Combinator. That's why. Not, it's not a question. It's a Capital Y. It's capital Y, Combinator. space, Combinator. Mm -hmm. And Y Combinator is an accelerator that basically gives, at the time, they only gave $17,000 to help you start your business. And they backed companies like Airbnb, Dropbox, among many other True. really successful companies. And we were among them. And, um, and that got us started. And that really helped me because I didn't have connections. I didn't really know anyone. What questions did Y Combinator, y Combinator help you think through and get clarity on? They really help an entrepreneur think through how do you make this a really big company that could be a multi-billion dollar business. They help entrepreneurs think about how they should work really hard and how do they create and structure a peer group of others who will motivate you to do whatever it takes to win. And that camaraderie is critical. So you go to Y Combinator with your uh, co-founder on this business, correct? Yep. And walk us through the journey of, of, of founding this business with your co-founder and kind of turning it into a, a, a small, growing enterprise. Yeah, well, I started it with a classmate from Berkeley. 
we both studied computer science and we became friends because he seemed like the smartest kid in the classroom and I needed someone to uh, get help from. <laughs> and uh, you want to make friends with the smartest kids. So I picked on him. We did all of our projects together and we're still very close friends to this day, even though he's no longer full time in the business. If you're looking at the smartest kid in the class to ask questions, what do you bring to the table that he doesn't have and what does he have that you don't have? Yeah, we wanted to compliment each other. I am really good at presenting and convincing people to join the journey. I could do the sales, I could do the product design, and I could do programming. But he's just a lot better at programming and at building the product. He's a better computer scientist. And that was perfect. I needed someone who could just focus on that full time. And meanwhile, I went out and found the customers, created the vision, and found the investors to give us money to fund the vision. It was a really good delineation. And what, do you, what did you think the business was then, and what has it become today? It's really changed, and it's been a really arduous journey, to be honest. Uh, when I meet people today, for some reason, people think, oh, wow, you're, you had such an easy journey. But no, it's really stressful all the time still. Uh, probably more so now than ever before. And when we first started, we were a financial dashboard for small businesses. I thought, how great would it be if a, a like a nail salon or an auto mechanic, you know, like a micropreneur, uh, maybe someone who owns a food truck, mm -hmm. to just visualize their finances online and I'll help their accountant with everything at the end of the year. But accountants didn't love us and we were not a painkiller solution. We were a vitamin. And we weren't bringing in enough business to justify all of our headcount. And so a few years in, I had to really reshape the entire business. And you're how old at that point? And then at that point, I'm 22, 23. And, and you went through uh, a painful period. Not that it's easy today, but you went through a particularly painful period where you had to let go some employees. You had to uh, re-examine the, the um, relationship you had with your co-founder. That's a heady thing to do when you're 22 years old. Tell me about that. Yeah, I had to let go of pretty much all of my friends who worked for us, like all of my classmates <laughs> I hired and convinced to like not work for the men and right. instead work with us. And I'm like, hey guys, this is not working out. So you got to go find a new job. And those are really hard conversations to have and, and frankly, pretty embarrassing and shameful too. So d did your friendships survive that process? We still keep in touch and the love is still there, but we're not close by any means, mm. I'd say. That's a, it's a bitter wake-up call for, for a young person. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot of learning lessons built what, into that. So... Um, Tell me a little bit about how you have how your how your relationship with your co. I read that you went to marriage counseling with your co-founder. I have, <laughs> I have the honor of having been to marriage counseling at age twenty three. Age twenty three with <laughs> someone you're not even in a relationship. Someone I'm not even with. married to. Right. What did you learn in that process? I thought it was really great to be in this marriage counseling environment with someone I care so deeply uh, for, and in a sense, we were in a marriage and. You know, when you're in business, you spend more time with that person than you do with your own significant other. I spent way more time with him than I spent with my boyfriend at the time. Right. And there's so many more conflicts and things that came up. And, you know, we worked through our communication styles. We worked through what triggers the other person. And really, it's therapy for each of us, but done in the context of 
us bickering at each other. Beautiful. And did you learn how to communicate better through that process? Ten times better. And what is what are the secrets to communicating better with a with a with a business partner? Yeah, I mean, in this case, we realized that we both had positive intent. And at the end of the day, we love each other very much. Mm-hmm. And so the things we bickered about and got angry about were just kind of ridiculous, stupid things that mm-hmm. didn't change the ultimate goal of what we we're trying to build. So you fight over silly logistical things as opposed to long-term strategy. Right, exactly. And then just the way that like we would get upset at each other was also not very healthy. All this stupid, obvious stuff that... When you tell me we should have cliff bars in the break room instead of kind bars, it makes <laughs> me feel unappreciated that's me leveraging some of the marital communication skills i have excellent yeah, wow I've you learned, learned it sounds too. 11 years i'm working on it Jessica. <laughs> um so you're so you're young adult you're 22 you're running a business you've taken millions of dollars in financing from some very big name people um earlier in your business w- how is that different? Like, how is your life different? Or do you think, do you feel like you missed out on anything by not just kind of screwing around and finding yourself in your early twenties? I think I definitely missed out. I, I couldn't even drink in college. I mean, I finished college when I was 19. So, mm-hmm. and my fake ID didn't work very well. You so. couldn't even drink a Y Combinator. You're, you're, you're taking millions in financing, but you can't go to the, I can't even go the to the celebration bar. Dinner. Yeah, I know my investors would make fun of me for that. And my Y Combinator peers still tell me to this day, they're like, well, yeah, we couldn't take you to the bar. Dave McClure, thanks for the millions in investing. Can you rent a car for me on this next <laughs> business trip? I could barely rent a car. <laughs> I'm not old enough to rent a car. I have a jet, but I can't go to Hertz. Oh, my God. Well, at the time, I definitely wasn't uh, flying around yet. I was so I was so poor. But, you know, and I started flying when I was 23 because... You know, my business was not doing that well. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't uh, succeeding yet. And I knew I needed a distraction in order to get myself to be focused again. How do you? F- how are you paying for the day-to-day things in your life while you're getting the business off the ground? We were super frugal. I mean, we used credit card points to pay for groceries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then our rent was super cheap. Uh, we were really, really frugal. And, and then after that, once I started paying myself a little bit, I used all my disposable income to pay for the, the aircraft fuel. Right. That was all I spent money on. Everything else I would be super cheap on. Even to this day, I pay no money in rent. I bum around. I live on friends' sofas or spare bedrooms. Like right now in LA, I'm living in a friend's spare bedroom. And <laughs> I'll buy her groceries like, you know, when I'm here. But like, otherwise, it's free rent. And so all my disposable income goes back into flying. Who's, 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 who's the deadbeat sleeping on your couch? Oh, that's Jessica. She's worth tens of millions of dollars and has a jet. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm uh, literally just bumming around. <laughs> so what do you, like, how, so what is, uh, I, I don't want to make, I don't go too deep on like how much you're worth or how much, you know, like Indonero could be worth. Cause I know these things are always in flux. There's valuations and you own this or that, but it's all theoretical, right? Mm-hmm. Until there's some kind of an exit or you go public, but you're, you're, you're a crazy successful young woman, young person. Sorry, let's say that again. I don't know that <laughs> You're a crazy successful young person. Do you think like that gets in the way of having normal relationships or when people meet you, is it weird because they're like, oh, this is Jessica. She's like really different. Like, you know, like how has money changed relationships in, in your day-to-day life? 
it hasn't changed my relationships as much as I thought,、mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. But I had I had a friend sit me down three months ago who said, "Hey, I think so and so, and so and so, and these you know people are taking advantage of you, and you need to be very cognizant of what's going on." So now I really think a lot more about that. I do think about how I could give more and help. People I care about without enabling them.、Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot about that now, and I also think about、um, like money and how you could use money to just make life better for the people you care about. And how? What? What have you? Tell me about that.、What、I mean, my relationship、out? to money has completely changed over the past year. Tell、it、me about that. What's the arc been? Very unhealthy. I'd say at first it was survival, so that's、mm-hmm. you know the bottom of、uh, Maslow's hierarchy, just paying for bills, right?、Sure. So that's where it started. Then it moved into being、uh, something where it was an unhealthy scorecard. Be like, okay, how do you make more money? So you measure yourself against the competition. The competition being other entrepreneurs or other friends,、mm-hmm. and that's not good either because then it becomes,、um, you know, it basically becomes a tool for、uh, feeding your insatiable ego. Sure. And that was happening to me for sure. And.、Uh, And I was insecure. I had a ton of things where I just felt like I had to compensate for my weaknesses, my insecurities from childhood or whatever.、Mm-hmm. And I had to really work through that. I mean, I spent so much time in therapy. I did this thing called Hoffman Institute, which changed my life. I mean, it's probably the most meaningful week I spent as an adult. And it's basically a retreat where you dive into, you know, all your relationships. How you were raised, what happened with your parents,、uh, what are your trigger points, what are your negative patterns? That sounds case, horrible. I don't want to learn all that. I, I, it I, is. If, if I keep work, I, I, all I have to do is suppress this for four more decades, and I'm done. And then you're done. I don't. I don't need to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want to bring all that stuff up, no, Jessica? No, it's like delayed gratification. You know, the earlier one works on these things, the sooner you get to enjoy the fruits of life. So you do all that work, and, and does it? And it helps you. It helped you create a better relationship with money and what you want out of life. Absolutely, I realized that I was trying. To make more money or create a bigger business to compensate for everything, and I needed it as a trump card、mm-hmm. because I didn't have much many friends in、mm-hmm. middle school, high school. I got made fun of a lot,、um, and and I was just a nerdy, shy kid who didn't、mm-hmm. have any friends back then, which is、mm-hmm. hard to think because now I have tons of friends and I'm ultra、right. extroverted and life is awesome. But back <laughs> then, I was really. Not well adjusted. What were you made fun of in in high school for, or in elementary school? I was just shy, and I wouldn't know how to talk to people.、Uh-huh. I mean, the teacher would complain to my parents about how I'd literally hang out on the playground by myself and have no friends. Right. <laughs> But and now you're on the cover of magazines. And it's so different. Stuff like、it's、that. It's so different. But I needed a trump card. Sure. I needed a way to tell all of those people, "F you!" Like I am awesome, and.、Uh, <laughs> And then I realized, wait a sec, I don't really need to do that. Like, if I'm just secure with myself and confident in who I am, I don't need to go through all these lengths. So, so, what do you want out of business from here on? I mean, you know, you've accomplished so much at a at a, at a very young age. What what is how do you define success? Now, my definition is completely different from how you, if you asked me six months ago. Six months ago, I would have measured it in dollar signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, today I measure it by happiness of the people who work here. I want to create like a really fun, exciting environment for the hundreds of people who work here. I want to 
build something that's impactful and helpful for the entrepreneurs we're servicing. Mm -hmm. So that's more what I'm trying to create now. And, and you know, it's, it's a challenge because even though that sounds great, that sounds like what you want to do. Um, you know, we have shareholders and we're not a public company we're private, but still all these people, they put money cause they want to make more money. Right. And so it's this, it's this dance of how do you make it work for everyone? And I'm, I'm sure there's always uh, people talking about, oh, this company might want to buy you and, you know, uh, or you should be thinking about going public in a few years. Does does having a big exit appeal to you? Do you is there part of you that wants to just go sit on the beach for a while? What 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 is <laughs> like what goes through your mind as to how to how to manage when the inevitable happens? Yeah, I I'm not super drawn to an exit event. Mm -hmm. I really think that we're in a business that can't sustain through down economic cycles and it could endure for decades or even a century. And if there's a way I could build that, why not? Like the MailChimp guys, do you know about MailChimp? I do know about MailChimp. Those guys have this kind of like, not super sexy email marketing business, right? And they've just stuck to their guns year after year after year. And now their company's worth billions. It's awesome. And, it's super impressive. And it's, yeah, and it's because they have a really strong, positive ROI business that customers are never going to stop doing email marketing because it just works. And they could have exited a long time ago and they'd, be, they'd just be sitting on the beach going like, what the hell do I do with my life now? I have a lot of friends who... Uh, went into many depressions after selling their companies for hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Did they start a podcast about money by any chance? They did not. No, okay. Well, Although that's, maybe... that's a very desperate sign that you <laughs> don't know what you do with your life. So let's talk about this scorecard you mentioned earlier. Like you felt like you were trying to keep score. And I mean, there's just no way to win, right? With Do you, do you still feel like you're keeping score? I mean, you're you're in the 99.9999th percentile and it talks about jets and jet fuel. You know, clearly you're winning, but do you feel like you're winning? I I do feel like I'm winning now. I feel, but I don't feel like it's a competition that needs to be won. Mm -hmm. That's the entire difference now. Right, yeah. It's, it's no longer a game that needs to be played where there are winners and losers or mm -hmm. percentiles or measurement. Right. We're all running our own race. We're all in our own swim lane. And I really believe that now. I mean, I have... Um, I have one really good friend who um, is one of the youngest billionaires in the world, a mm -hmm. uh, friend I knew from college. And, uh, you know, if you asked me three years ago, I would have been jealous. I'd been like, why is that not me? Mm -hmm. Like, why am I not that? Which is ridiculous to think because I've done perfectly fine myself. But <laughs> sure, what you've I've, done okay. What yeah, I've, you're right. I've done okay. My parents are, you know, reasonably happy with the progress, but like, I wouldn't have been. And now it's like, no, like I'm on my own life journey and whatever happens to me is what's meant to happen to me. And it, that friend success in no way threatens me. And that's something I've had to work through and understand that it's not about achieving or making more money or being more successful as the way to fix that problem. I try to fix it through accomplishment instead of fixing it by looking internally and within myself. What, what outside of work gives you the greatest satisfaction? Outside of work, I mean, it's basically helping my friends and loved ones in their life journeys and helping them figure out the biggest, hardest questions in their life. I mean, this weekend, I'm organizing a group of 18 badass women. We call it Badass Retreat, where we basically rent a house, just a cheap Airbnb that has to have a hot tub, mm -hmm. must have a hot tub. <laughs> and we go really deep. We talk about all of our problems in life. 
And I can tell you almost none of the problems are like, hey, I'm having this bad employee or, oh, this product won't sell. It always goes far deeper. It's like, yeah, like I'm really having a tough time in my romantic relationship and it's making me realize that um, I don't have my shit together or it's about like, hey, like my dad is, my parents are old and dying and I don't know, like whatever it might be. And we spend a whole weekend Mm-hmm. diving into these things are these other entrepreneurs they're all entrepreneurs they're all successful in some way by mm-hmm. you know just any general measurement of quote unquote success and yet all of them have challenges all of them are suffering in some way sure and it brings me great joy outside of my business to facilitate and organize these types of retreats so you mentioned relationships are guys intimidated by you and your success I am very unsuccessful in the dating world right now. I gotta say, <laughs> I just signed up for the dating apps about 48 hours ago. So Which, this is very can, interesting Where time. can our listeners find you on the dating apps? <laughs> Look for Jessica Ma, available now on probably not Tinder. No, not Tinder. Oh my God. Sli- you know, the funny thing is I have friends who run dating apps too. And it's been really interesting to learn about their lessons from this. And What do they tell you? Um, I mean, they've told me about just, you know, their own stories of what it's like to date as a badass female Mm -hmm. CEO and how, um, I mean, we all share this together, how it definitely can be intimidating to certain guys and it's, you know, it's hard because we ourselves don't fully know what we need in a Mm -hmm. partner. And so you don't know what you need and you're working all the time and is it is it is it just that it's not the right time because you're really focused on building the business or is it just like some guys just can't handle it? No, no, the right guys can handle it. It's actually a really good filter, I think. Right. Um, that's, that's Mine was always, does she have a cat? And then, you know, like... Game over and then... Right, yeah. Yours <laughs> is like, does she have a jet? That's your big obstacle. Yeah, I mean, for a while, for me, it was also, again, going back to success like wanting to find someone Mm -hmm. on my level and then that evolved over the past year to being like do they have as big of a heart do they want to help as many other people right are they as service oriented and minded that that really ultimately matters more than anything and in any of my relationships friends included what are some things you would tell people who have friends that have just taken off and been really successful? What what are some things you can share with them that can help them be good friends to those friends that have kind of hit it big? Well, the ones who hit it big, they all still have a lot of things they're working through and things look great on the outside, but ultimately like them achieving their financial goals is I think just one of many steps in the life journey And, um, you know, for me, I had a lot of delayed happiness where I said, oh, I'll be happier when I hit X financial milestone. And then I hit X milestone and then it became X times two and then X times 10. Yeah. And it was just actually a distraction and um, a way for me to hide away from focusing on relationships, love, connection, Mm -hmm. how to create a better workplace for my team members, the things that ultimately I'm going to think about on my deathbed. So so, you, so, how, so to answer your question, it comes back to how do you help those people who've been successful refocus and reprioritize on all the other aspects of their life that they've been neglecting and probably not thinking very much about. Do you think about, Hey, I want to be a badass female billionaire. Do you give a shit about that anymore? 
Not as much as I, I did. I was kind of obsessed about it. I thought about it all the time. Mm-hmm. I would wake up and look at my scorecard every day. <laughs> and then I, it was just so nauseating that right. I realized I could not live the rest of my life this way. Yeah. And I said, oh, if I'm like worth $100 million by the time I'm like 30, I'll be happy. And then I got there last year. And then I'm like, okay, like still that doesn't change anything. And, uh, and so I, I realized I have to like, in that race while I can, because it's not going in the right direction. I was running into a dead end. I had to, I had to change it and stop looking at the scorecard and stop caring. So you, you talk about making a difference. Are there particular, are there particular charities or nonprofits that you really care about that you're, that you're directing some of your resources toward? Right now I'm more focused on high leverage impact, which is really improving the lives for a ton of these badass female mm-hmm. CEOs and entrepreneurs. So mm-hmm. I, I run the retreats. I have I have a group of a few hundred uh, female CEOs to help them find support from each other. And so that's really been my focus area right now because I feel like if I help them, then they'll help the thousands or tens of thousands of people who work for them. So there's that trickle-down effect. Mm-hmm. I think at some point I'll go the inverse direction and focus on people who really don't have any financial means and really, you know, if you help their life, you help their immediate family and that's it. I think I'll do that at some point, but I'm, I'm not there yet. And that's part of my evolving journey. Where do you, uh, what do you want to be doing in 10 years? Where do you, where do you want Indonero or more importantly, where do you want Jessica Ma 10 years from now? Yeah. Well, I mean, for Jessica Ma, at least I want to have a life where I'm personally really happy, secure, satisfied. So I could help, make life better for other people and um i want to continue to be ultra authentic and honest and just talk about here are my struggles here's what's going well and here's what's not going well i don't ever want to lose that i don't want to have this facade where it looks like i'm this perfectly polished person Mm -hmm. because i don't think that serves anyone well so that's what i want for myself um you'll notice i didn't talk about what kind of plane I want, what kind of house I want, okay, what kind of financial but, but goals. Seriously, what kind of plane do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to answer Those Gulf that. Streams are pretty nice, aren't they? I mean, I mean, I know you've got a sweet citation, but a Gulf Stream would be pretty good, wouldn't it? But it'll happen. I mean, I'm not worried about that anymore. Um, That's so fucking cool. <laughs> like, I have faith in that. All right. I read somewhere that you were the youngest member ever of Young Presidents Organization, YPO. Is that true? I think so. I mean, okay. I was 23 when I joined. That's and pretty young. I think I was the youngest, at least female member for many years, and at least the youngest like entrepreneur to join YPO. T- tell me what you've learned through networking with your other badass women and um, through YPO, other uh, presidents and owners of small, medium, and some pretty large businesses, actually. What, what, tell me about the importance of networking and learning from other people. I think doing it absolutely changed my life. It got my life on the right track because this entire conversation we've had about scorecards about you know being really focused on the wrong things that don't ultimately matter when you're on your deathbed my ypo group basically shook me um went and said jess like you need to you're you're going down a bad direction they yeah. held me accountable they were my uh you know my uh mastermind group my brain trust and i learned the beauty of being open and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I learned how to share deep, dark stuff. And because when I first got there, I thought, oh, I have to make myself look bigger and better than I am in order to fit in, in order to 
get their acceptance into this group. Right. Because in my group, I had people who started companies worth billions of dollars. And at the time I had what, like I had a tiny business. Mm -hmm. So I was, I had this incredible imposter syndrome and I would confess that to the group. I tell them, Hey, I have ridiculous imposter syndrome right now. And they helped me think that through and help me really understand that. Um, seen with the badass females, these badass females, amazing people. A lot of them I did not know uh, when I first started working on, on this group. I basically brought in a few of my female friends and I said, invite anyone you want. Just literally send a calendar invite to any of your other badass female friends. Invite them to the group. There's no, there's no application process, none of that crap. This is open invite, but you must be badass and you must be open and vulnerable. Those are the only rules. You must be a self-defined badass, whatever that means. And, um, and we've created an environment where people trust each other to open up. And, um, and so I've learned that these friendships, this ability to support each other is like among the most important things you could find in life. That's awesome. We were talking about imposter syndrome and it might seem absurd to people on the outside who look at you and look at you know you on paper and think, how could you feel like you're not worthy with all you've accomplished? Where does that, where does that come from? I've really worked a lot on imposter syndrome and I don't have nearly as much of it anymore. And one might think, oh, it's easy to not have imposter syndrome once you're quote unquote successful. Mm -hmm. But the key to fixing imposter syndrome is getting over it while you're in the gutter and an absolute quote unquote failure or mm -hmm. your things are not working out. Like for yeah. me, my company was you know nearly insolvent and my boyfriend broke up with me. And, uh, and so I was feeling really low confidence and and like an imposter. And that's when I started working on this big time. That's exactly when you need to solve imposter syndrome the most. Imposter syndrome sounds to me like you're wearing a fake mustache and a trench coat. Maybe that's me. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so, but I did read a quote about that, that, you know, when you're going through this dark time, you said to your, to your father, I feel like I'm Bernie Madoff, rich on the outside, but broken on the inside. Yeah. That conflict's got to be really hard. Yeah, it's very... Uh, tough conflict but what i found was that it's incredibly common and where so many of my other friends and people i share that with had the same syndrome and so i realized wow i'm not alone and uh, i realized that people way more successful than than i was at the time felt that way and if they felt that way then i was you know not not abnormal by any means did you feel like you were like you were burning madoff just because you had been financially successful just was was being financially successful something to be ashamed of on some level at the time i wasn't financially successful i was financially very unsuccessful which is why i felt <laughs> like burning madoff i i convinced a lot of uh, rich people to give me money because mm -hmm. presumably i would make them more money through my business being successful sure and that was not the case at all i was on track to lose everyone's money mm -hmm. and that's where the bernie madoff thing came in now i didn't intentionally swindle anyone that was that's the difference to that story right but i did my best and my best was not enough and that's a horrible feeling and so you, but you pulled from, from financial discipline, hardcore layoffs, cost savings, and refocusing on what the product was, you pulled out of all that. Yeah. I mean, I, we did, and now we will have a really good outcome, but it, there's still challenges, right? So that's why this is an ongoing journey. It's not like, okay, I've solved it and then I'm done. That's the other misconception. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. I'll do the hard work. I'll go to therapy. I'll 
talk to my executive coach, I'll fix these business problems. And then, and then one day you're just magically perfect. That's absolute bullshit. It's an ongoing thing. It's, it's an ongoing, everyday, intentional choice to say, I am not going to live life that way. I'm not going to go down the dark road. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live life in a different direction. So you make a decision every day to not think about your success as a, as a destination, but as a, you know, this is what I want to stand for every day. This is the kind of person I want to be in the kind of environment I want to create. It's a conscious choice. It really is. And, and now it's like, it's a habit. So I don't have to consciously think about it every day. It's just more natural. Right. But I'd say for a good chunk of 2018 and, and 2017, it's something where I'd have to remind myself in the shower every morning is kind of the time I take to reflect on what do I want my day to be like? And I do this check where I ask myself, how does my body feel? How does my mind feel? Is my mind swirling in negative uh, behavior and just uh, self-criticism or is it going to be optimistic today? So I go through my mind, then I go through my emotional self. Like Mm -hmm. what does my emotional self want? My emotional self feels fear right now, fear Mm -hmm. that I'm going to disappoint um, my employees or my investors or or maybe my emotional side is uh, really optimistic today. Mm-hmm. How do I make my emotional side happy? And then lastly, it's just, you know, thinking about my higher self. Like what would my higher, wise, 150-year-old self on the deathbed tell me about what I'm experiencing in my life today? Mm-hmm. So I'd go through all these four, those four questions, body, mind, emotional, and higher self. The, the version of me that's on my deathbed, I, I ask that question, what do you need today? How are you going to feel today? Every day in the shower. And that's what I do to get, get on track. That's amazing. I have a standard question where I ask people, what is their greatest indulgence? I mean, meaning like financial indulgence, but you, you've already told us. I've already told you. That you have a jet. <laughs> so, okay, besides your jet, I mean, do, do you sometimes buy like a sweater you don't need? <laughs> I have a jet and I shop at Nordstrom Rack. I mean, like what are the, what other things give you, what gives you pleasure that you can buy with money, whether it's $3 lunch or a, a beautiful sweater? Like what's, what's your next coolest indulgence besides a jet? <laughs> I mean, after the flying, I think the biggest indulgence I have is I love bringing people to burning man it's to burning of, man uh, it's the one thing i live for every year it's just one week and uh-huh. i brought 70 friends to burning man this year seven zero seven zero and out of my own pocket i probably spent 50 to 100 grand subsidizing everyone because it's wow. such a meaningful life-changing experience where there's again no money no mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. none of the day-to-day crap we live in at burning man it's just your the 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 inner core of your soul yeah. that just wanders Burning Man and relates to other inner core souls um, without the costume, the outer facade of each person. You don't deal with any of that there. And so that's such an important experience for people I know and love to experience mm-hmm. that that I'm willing to do anything to bring them there. So that is that is my indulgence. That's pretty cool. That's impact, I think. You, yeah. know, you change 70 people's lives. And they employ thousands, tens of thousands of people. It's a trickle-down effect. And what do you think those people are thinking when they leave Burning Man? Or what do you want them to think? I want them to think, wow, like I could treat people better. I could treat myself better. I could be kinder and more compassionate as a human being. I want just the way they relate to humanity. I want that to change and evolve. For And I, I've heard that feedback from so many people. Like, wow, that was like a life-changing experience. 
that makes me happier than anything. That's badass. You are badass. You know, before you even mentioned badass women, I had put in my notes like hashtag generation badass because I look at what you're doing and the way you think about stuff and I think it's just so incredibly cool and different than the way kind of even I'm 20 years older than you are and it's like completely different than the way I was raised to think about money. Not not even by my parents, but just sort of like culturally we were like more is better, more cool shit is better, buy as big a house as you can, buy as drive the coolest car you can, you know, and it's just... It's inspiring to listen to you talk about the way you've evolved at a very young age. Thank you. I mean, I've been inspired by so many of my friends who I've seen look at money in a different way. And, and uh, probably the one, uh, one of my biggest mentors on this topic is my friend Tony Shea, who started Sappos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he spends so much time and energy and money crafting these experiences for his friends, mm-hmm. like music festivals, Burning Man, et cetera. Yep. And that's how he spends his money. And, you know, I saw him do that and I got so inspired and decided that's how I want to spend my money too. That's awesome. I took some guys out for golf recently. That was, <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. I, was, I bought him a couple beers afterwards. I thought that was pretty righteous. That is me. very righteous. I got to hang out with better people. I think that's my thing. My <laughs> friends are not getting it done. All right, Jessica Ma, you've been very generous with your time and, and more, more so with your thoughts and honesty. And I just want to say thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You're awesome. I'm glad I know you. <laughs> See ya. So that was Jessica Ma. Wow, what an open and honest discussion. I really appreciate that from Jessica. Jessica, thank you. Now you all know what it's like to be a 28-year-old badass woman. Hey folks, if you like what we're doing here, talking about and exploring the world of money and how it helps us live a better life, do me a favor, tell a friend about it. Share the episode by email, Carrier Pigeon, or some of them social media channels. Even better, go to iTunes and subscribe or rate it a whole bunch of stars, however many you can give me while still maintaining your integrity. You can go to Spotify and follow it there. Also of note, I have some comedy dates coming up and I'd love for you to come out and join me in some laughs. You can see them all at paulollinger.com slash events. Ollinger again is O-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. And I'm very excited to announce that I'll be headlining Caroline's on Broadway in New York City on March 13th. I would love to see you there. You can also catch me in Atlanta at the Best of Atlanta at the Laughing Skull Lounge on February 16th, 22nd, 28th, and March 10th, and a whole bunch of other shows around the area. I really appreciate you stopping by. Have a great day. Bye.